morning again. Glad to have everybody with us. We've got some, some guests with us here today. We're so thankful to have you all join us. If you haven't had a chance to go by and meet them, swing by and, and meet them today. I'm pretty sure our, our usual crowd knows who they are. And good to see some faces we hadn't seen in, in a minute. So just good to have everybody today. Just want to let you all know that it's good to be here with you all. Well, today we are, we're continuing on in, in a series that we've been in the past few weeks that we've called By Faith. If you remember, we've been in Hebrews chapter 11. We've been walking through this, this testimony and, and spiritual heritage of our, of our spiritual ancestors during this, uh, this series. We began in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we've looked at Abel. We looked at Enoch, who was taken up by God. Noah, who built the boat. We saw Abraham, who was called to leave his homeland. And Sarah, who was given the power to conceive in her old age. We saw Isaac and Jacob blessing their children and, and grandchildren and Joseph. And we looked at Moses' parents and Moses, the nation of Israel, and, and even Rahab the harlot being included in this lineage. And, and this week, as we looked on, the, the, the writer continues on. And he, and he basically says, we're, we're not going to get there yet. I'm not going to read it. I'm just kind of introducing. He says, Basically, what, what more shall I say? I could talk about so many other great saints, people with great faith. And, and he lists a few of them. And, and really, as you're reading that chapter, it's just meant to recall some of those people back to mind. But I thought what we would do today is go in and, and look at some of those a little bit more in depth. And the reason is, is one of the things I, I love about the scriptures, one, one of the reasons that outside of just it being the word of God, one of the reasons that it testifies to its own authenticity is that it tells you the ugly truth about a lot of things. If you were to actually go through and, and read every bit of the scriptures in the Old Testament, and then if you were to make a movie out of every actual thing that happened, you couldn't show it to most, you couldn't show it to children. We'll just say it that way. And it's because the scriptures testify that every human being under Adam is fallen and sinful in their original state. Without the grace of God, without the saving grace, we are fallen and sinful before we become redeemed by Christ. And the scriptures testify to us, and it does that, I think, for many good reasons. And one of which, namely, is, is it kind of lets us know that we're not alone when you think about it. Last week, we looked at Rahab. Rahab was, was a harlot. I'm not going to get into the details of that for our children. Again, if you need to explain this to them later, that, have fun. Uh, we're not going to get into that. But she was not a, an ideal woman. She did not lead an ideal life. She was not a child either by, by the reckoning and the way you read the story. But yet, still through her faith, when she heard about God delivering the Israelites, she received the people believing that God was with them. And she was rewarded for her faith. And, so, and to the point where she's included in this great line, uh, uh, the Hall of Faith, as we call it. Where she's commended by her faith. And we even mentioned how she's included in the lineage of kings. Her line leads to David eventually, and we know that leads to Jesus. This woman who had lived a, a terrible life for, I don't know, let's just assume it's 30, 35 years. All of a sudden, her faith... Faith brings her into an entirely new life, an entirely new destiny, changes everything. And our Savior actually comes through that lineage. It tells us that, you know, we have 
faults. We have sins. We have messed up. We've made mistakes. We've faltered and fumbled. But it shows us how patient and how kind and graceful God is with us, even though we keep falling and, and faltering and failing. And, and no other book, I think, really espouses that quite like the book of Judges, which is where we're going to end up today, talking through several of these stories that gets mentioned. When he starts mentioning Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, you may not even know some of those names. A lot comes from the book of Judges, and we're going to get into that today and look at it. But the book of Judges really shows us how human all of these people really, really were. So let's uh, begin reading in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through 34. So Hebrews chapter 11, 32 through 34. The writer continues, again, picking up from where we left off the past couple of weeks. says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. So there's multiple prophets. In fact, your Bible's got a list of major prophets and minor prophets that this author's including. Who, through faith, notice that, through faith. How, are they, how did they do everything that's about to be listed? Through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. What I want us to notice as we read that, it's a very short little passage, and the author basically says, I don't really have time to get into all this, but I could go on and on and on about these people. And so that's what I'm going to take us through today is on and on and on with some of these people. But notice, again, we've heard the words by faith, by faith, by faith, they did this, by faith. Again, who through faith did all of these things. Through faith. Faith is the key, the ticket that we're talking about here. Remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it's the first verse in this passage. And again, we're, we're given some names here, and I want to go into uh, some, of these, some of these names just to give us a better uh, understanding of this for those of us who don't know uh, about these people. Again, I discussed we're talking about the book of Judges. If we remember, God delivered the nation of Israel. Moses led the people out. They went through the promised land, and, and as Moses got old, eventually Moses died, and a new leader came up. His name was Joshua. And under Joshua, Israel was very victorious. Joshua was a very strong and solid leader. But after Joshua, Israel enters into a period during the time of the Judges. And the time of Judges is interesting because there's a pattern throughout the book of Judges. As you read, you'll notice this pattern. Here's what happens. God gives Israel an undeserved victory. He gives them a a victory that never should have been possible. And he tells them, I've given you this victory. I'm your God. Follow me. And they're like, thank you, God. We're going this way. They start sinning. They do what's evil in the eyes of the Lord. As you read Judges, you'll read the words, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Israel did what was evil over and over and over. God gives them victory. They celebrate it for a minute, and then they start doing evil. Idolatry, doing all these things they shouldn't do. Then enemies come in and start oppressing Israel. You'll read about all of the different kites, Amalekites, all the kites, Midianites, all these different ites and kites. 
are going to come and oppress Israel. So after Israel's unfaithful, they start getting oppressed. They get, they get beaten up, basically. And what happens whenever Israel gets oppressed? They cry out, oh, God, save me. Now they want to be faithful, right? Whenever things going good, they feel like they don't need God. But when things get bad, they know God's the only one they can call on who will save them. And what does God do? He saves them again. So God raises up a judge, someone to come and deliver them. They're delivered. He gives them a victory. We, we lather, rinse, and repeat. That's the whole book of Judges right there in a nutshell. God saves them. He says, I'm your God. Follow me. They say, okay. Then they do evil. They get oppressed. They cry out. God raises a judge. He delivers them over and over and over and over and over again. And we look at that and we say, man, why couldn't, the, why couldn't the Jews just get it? God just says, just follow me. I'm your God. I'll deliver you. Follow me. We're not so very different, are we? We keep making the same mistakes and doing the same things. And we find ourselves in situations that we ought not to be in. And what do we do when it gets bad? God, save me. And then he does. We're not so different from these people. We're human just as they are human. So God raises up all these judges, and this book shows us how patient God is, how kind he is, but it also shows us there's consequences for our actions. That's one thing about Christianity is, yes, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not anything you did, but your actions have consequences. If I were to go and, and play out in the middle of Highway 135, Actions have consequences. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. There's still natural consequences. But God always delivers his people. He rescues his people. And when it comes to salvation, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the book of Judges does espouse to us consequences for our decisions. We'll see that today. And in fact, some of these characters, it's difficult to even explain their decisions. Some of these things wind up in, in let's just, just tragic circumstances. Okay, but we know these people were considered faithful because the author of Hebrew tells us they were faithful. So we know that about them. We know they were at least saved and redeemed. Anyway, so let's get let's jump into it. First one we're going to go with is Gideon today. Gideon is perhaps one of my favorite characters in the in the Old Testament. Um, I, I love this story because it, it's such an unlikely story. It's an underdog story. If you like underdog movies or sports movies, action movies, that kind of thing. Gideon is that kind of tale. So we have Gideon um, who comes in. It's found beginning in Judges 7, goes on for a couple of chapters. Basically what's happened to Israel. We told you, God delivers them, says, I'm your God, follow me. They turn and they do evil. Oppressors come in. Now when Gideon's around, these oppressors are the Midianites and the people from the east. But we're just going to, the Midianites is the main group. They come in and they oppress Israel so bad that Israel's like living in caves and in rocks. They're constantly hiding from these enemies. And one day, this, this man named Gideon, he's actually threshing wheat in a wine press. How many of us have ever threshed wheat? I, me neither. Cool. How many of us have ever done wine in a wine press like they used to? No? Okay, me neither. It's one of those things when you say it, you know you shouldn't thresh wheat in a wine press. You know those two things don't go together. You, you do wine in a wine press, you do wheat where they do wheat. 
when you look this up, you're supposed to thresh wheat on a hill for the wind. So the, the wind can blow the chaff away, separate all this stuff. Basically, what it means is Gideon was hiding as he was doing all this. He was hiding from the Midianites. He's threshing wheat. He's, he's hiding. He's still trying to take care of his family. People got to eat even when you're oppressed. He's threshing the wheat, and this angel shows up to him. And the angel shows up and calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. That'd be really cool if an angel showed up to you and, and called you a mighty man or a mighty woman of valor. You'd, you'd feel pretty good. But remember, Gideon is hiding out doing this stuff. That doesn't really seem like a, a mighty person. Anyways, so this angel tells Gideon, I'm going to raise you up to deliver the nation of Israel as one man. You're going to go in this, in this might of yours and deliver Israel. And Gideon actually tells the angel, um, there's just one problem with that. That I, I am the least in my father's house, so I'm the youngest son in my father's house, and my family is from the weakest clan, and we're actually from the half-tribe of Manasseh. We're not even a full tribe like, like, like all the other big ones, like Judah. Judah's a full tribe. We're Ephraim and Manasseh. We're, we're a half-tribe. I'm from the weakest clan, and I'm the least in my father's house. So you probably should go pick somebody else. So if you've ever felt like you're the least of the least of the weak of the least, that's Gideon. That's exactly who we're talking about here. It, God didn't come and, and pick out the, the, the hugest warrior in all the land. This is not Goliath. He's not some nine-foot-tall giant who's been a man of war since his youth. God goes and picks this, this Gideon, who's the least of the weak of the least of the lowest, and tells him, you're going to deliver the nation of Israel. And so Gideon's like, uh, okay, but can, can you prove it to me? And, and Gideon requires all these proofs. I'm not going to walk through the entire story. We won't get to anything else if we go into the entire story. But Gideon requires all these proofs and all these proofs and all these proofs. And then finally, Gideon finally says, oh, okay. So Gideon calls everybody together and 22,000 men answer the call. That'd be amazing. If you put out a call in the land, you got to go to battle, and 22,000 people show up ready to fight for you. That'd be pretty amazing. But you know, 22 is a big number, but your enemies number at about 145,000. We find that out later in the book of Judges, about chapter 8. But 22,000, that's, that's not bad. God can do work. And God tells them, you know what, that's too many people. Lest Israel thinks that they delivered themselves. You tell everybody who's afraid they can go home. I've never led an army, but I don't think it's a good idea to tell soldiers, if you're afraid, you can go home. <laughs> and what happens is most of them split. And Gideon's left with 10,000 men. So still a crowd, but not, I mean, still you're way outnumbered. It, it, this would still be an amazing feat if God defeated the enemies with 10,000 compared to 145,000. And God tells Gideon, that's still too many. Hang on, God. I'm, I'm not a, I don't need to be a rocket Scientologist mathematician to figure that out. That's not too many. <laughs> so God puts him through a test. 
They do some things, drinking some water, and there's only 300 men left. Okay, 300, 145,000. When you divide it and do the math, that's 450 to 1. That means every single Jew has to kill 450 Midianites. I just, I just think about the mechanics of swinging a sword that many times. I don't see how it's possible. It's interesting why God decided to do this. And we'll, we should note something when we get to uh, Barak next. But, so Gideon gets this plan from God. And God actually gives him a victory in, in the most unfathomable way. There's no way that 300 men can defeat 450,000. So what God does is he gives Gideon a plan. And he gives them a few instruments. He gives every man a jar. He gives them a torch and a trumpet. Again, I'm not a soldier. Uh, Matt, you are. Matt, are you going to war with a jar, a trumpet, <laughs> and a torch? Probably not. I mean, if I'm in that army, I'm kind of shaking right now. And Gideon tells him, he splits him into three companies. And he says, listen, you're going to watch me and do what I do. And when the time comes, you're going to shatter this jar, and then you're going to blast the trumpet and hold up the torch. We're going to encircle their camp. So what they do is they come to the valley of Jezreel, and Gideon surrounds them. Here's what it is. Let's say you're the Midianite camp. One group comes from this side up over the hill. Now, the smart thing about these jars, the torches were put into the jars to cover the light so they could sneak up on the camp in the middle of the night. So they sneak up, Gideon's group on one in the middle, the other two groups on the other two sides, they're up high above them where the Midianites are camped down. So what Gideon does is at the same time, they, they take their jars, they smash them, and then they got their torches. They hold their torches up high. They blast their trumpets from every direction, from three directions all around them. And think about it. These guys don't know how to play trumpets. It sounds probably like an awful, horrible noise. And then they, they yell and they scream, a sword for the Lord and Gideon. But you can hear all this shattering. And you're in the camp, the Midianites, in the middle of the night. All of a sudden you wake up. You have no idea what's going on. You rush out of your tent. You just see the, the horizon line around you is just lit up on fire. You hear shattering and screaming and trumpets blasting. And then all of a sudden you see guys running through the camp. Because all these different tribes have come together to attack Israel. And, and all of a sudden you see guys running past you and you don't know who that is and that is and that is and that. And all of a sudden the Midianites start turning on each other in the camp thinking it's the Israelites have invaded their camp. They start killing each other. Then they start running off. And God actually delivers the Midianite army into the hands of Gideon. Using some little clay pots torches and trumpets which is amazing when you when you think about how that victory was actually attained by god it's it's brilliant that god did that but then whenever we we also read about this um this let me let me read it real quick from judges 7 19 through 22 it says so gideon and the 100 men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch so it's the middle of the night when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. 
they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp. So they've surrounded the camp. And all the army ran. They cried out and fled when they blew the 300 trumpets. The Lord set every man's sword against his comrade in the Midianite army. And the army fled as far as Beskatah towards Zarah. I can't even say those names right. As far as the border of Abel Mehalah by Tabath. I'm not even pronouncing those right. I'm not worried about it. But he set them to flee, and Gideon has this great victory. This should have never occurred, but through God it did. And then as we read a, a, another passage that I, I, when I first heard this, I was like, oh, that's so good. So amazing. From, from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you don't have the verse on the screen. But this comes from Paul. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the, glory of, the, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, this light, shining forth in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power belongs to God and not us. You see, whenever Gideon led them to, to take those jars and to smash them and letting their light shine forward and then pronouncing victory in the name of God and blasting their trumpets, declaring it, in the same way, we have God's light hidden in these jars of clay. And these jars are also smashed that our light may shine forward that we may declare victory in the name of Jesus over all of our enemies, especially sin and death. And let that light shine forward so that the world will know that this surpassing power belongs to God, that it's from God, not us. I love that New Testament tie-in. I spent much more time today on this story than I, than I thought. I have no idea how I'm going to get through the rest of this today. So just follow along with me. I love that story of Gideon. So we have Gideon, the judge who delivers them. And then the, the writer also lists a, a man by the name of Barak. He's less known than Gideon. But I, I found this this week, and I was like, oh, what a cool tie-in. These, these people are not listed in chronological order in, in the scriptures. Actually, Barak comes from Judges 4. Gideon begins in Judges 6. But they're listed in order of importance. Gideon's a bigger figure in Jewish culture than Barak is. And so in Judges 4, we find this man named Barak, who's been called uh, through the prophetess, Deborah. And, and she basically tells him, hasn't God called you to go out and, and lead the army to victory? And he's like, okay, but only if you'll go with me. He's like, I, I won't go if you won't go. He knows, he knows, he's like, I got to have God with me to go and have victory. I'm not going if I don't have you there to, to speak, so I know that God's with me. So he goes to war. And an interesting fact, remember, this happened before Gideon. He raises up 10,000 men. And they have victory, and God gives them victory, and he ends up uh, chasing, chasing them out. And there's not a single soldier left of their enemies, except for the general, Sisera, who fled, who comes to a, a tent by a woman named Jael. She pretends to be a friend of his, and if you know the story, she invites him in, pretends to hide him, and then drives a stake through his head. 
Again, this book is brutal. Judges has got some brutal parts in it. But what I found interesting about that is the the number 10,000. Barak raised up an army of 10,000 and God gave them victory. And two chapters later, three chapters later, when Gideon raises up an army, it's 22,000. He says, if you're scared, go home. How many are left? 10,000. And God said, that's too many. Why? Because God had already granted them victory of 10,000, and they still tried to take credit for it. That's why God said, this is my victory. If you have 10,000, y'all are going to try to claim victory for yourself. Too many. So he whittled it down to 300. But Barak, as we, as we look at this, he's basically a nobody. We, we don't really know anything about Barak. Yet God raised him up and gave him victory as well. And then we also mentioned Samson. Many of us know about Samson. When we think of Samson, we, we basically think of like the Hulk, right, in, in Scripture. We think of this big, huge, hulking beast of a man. The Scripture never says how big Samson was. Just a little food for thought. I, I like to try to imagine Samson as a very normal-looking fella. Because that makes it all the more impressive. If Samson was this seven-foot, you know, giant, weighed 350 pounds, looked like a professional wrestler, I mean, it's still amazing that he could, you know, kill 2,000 Philistines at once. But I, I like to think of him as just a regular old guy. Because we don't know how big or how tall or anything he was. Anyways, Samson, he, he has the Spirit of God on him. He's set apart from birth. He, he's, uh, um, he has the Nazarite vow, can't cut his hair can't touch fruit of the vine, can't go near dead things. He, he, he goes near dead things a lot because he kills thousands of people. Um, anyways, he, but he has all this strength. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He slays God's enemies, but he has a weakness, a weakness for women. And that actually ends up leading to his downfall. And he ends up getting captured and has his eyes gouged out. It, it's a terrible thing. They, they bring him out to put him on show, the Philistines do just to make fun of him and laugh. But in his final act, he does. He calls upon God to give him victory over their enemies. Again, this is a very flawed man. He's made a ton of mistakes. But in one final faithful act, he does call upon the strength of God, and he puts his hands on the pillars in the temple, pushes it over, and and crushes the Philistines inside. And what's interesting about that story is that sounds pretty tragic. It's like, Aaron, where's the victory for God in that? Again, our actions have consequences. Had Samson been a man who could stay true to what he was called to do and the way he was called to do it and the purity he was called to live in, his story would not have looked like that. But yet he is still counted among the faithful in this. And then we also hear the story of Jephthah, again, who comes from Judges 11. This is, uh, again, another person who's very flawed. Jephthah, we're told, is a mighty warrior. But he's the son of a prostitute. So we know he's an outsider. Again, when you hear about these people, Gideon's the least of these. Uh, Barak is a nobody. Jephthah's the son of a prostitute. I'm thinking, God, why aren't you raising up all these noble people to do all these great things? And Jephthah's a mighty warrior, but he gets rejected by his brothers. And then when his people are in trouble, they do call on him. You know, when things are good, they feel like they don't need him. He's not one of them. They're going to reject him. Because of decisions his parents made. Which none of us have ever done that to anybody, have we? He gets rejected for decisions his parents made that he had nothing to do with. And then finally, when everybody comes around, it's like, oh, we need your help. He does agree 
to this. And he says, um, if you bring me to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me. See, Jephthah knew if he was going to go fight, the Lord would have to bring him victory. He knew that. He knew that victory came from the Lord. And he did. God gave him victory. But the tragedy in Jephthah's story is he makes a very hasty vow for some reason. We're not really even told why in the scripture. He just makes a promise to God unprompted. God doesn't ask him for this, but he makes a promise and basically says, the first thing to come out of my tent, I'm going to offer to you, God. And tragically, what happens is his daughter comes out. And Jephthah ends up keeping his word. It's a tragic story. But the main point in there, as far as Hebrews is concerned, is not this, but, but also I will say, be very careful what hasty vows you make for the Lord. If you make promises to God and swear to do things to him, God will hold you to those things that you have chosen to do. There are consequences for our hasty actions and vows. But again, Jephthah knew that all victory came from God, and God gave him victory. I don't have time. I'm going to wrap up here because David, we, we, you know the story of David. David's the greatest king in all of Jewish history, but yet David was an adulterer. He conspired to have a man murdered, and he had the man killed. David's not even a, a perfect guy. David was the least of his brothers as well. When we look at these, what, what do all these people have in common? Gideon was the least from the weakest clan of the half-tribe. Barak was a nobody. Jephthah was an outcast. He was a son of a prostitute rejected by his own brothers. Samson was a man given over to his passions, couldn't turn women away. David was the least of his brothers who often fell into sin. It's not exactly an all-star team when you look at all those facts, is it? We think about these things. But we, mu we must remember that by faith, even though they sinned, even though they failed at times, even though they stumbled, even though they fumbled, even though they messed up, sin is sin. And the wage of sin is death. But even though they sinned, by faith, they were commended by God as righteous. By faith. By faith. They were made strong out of their weakness. By faith, they were used mightily by God. And so if you look at any of these people and you can identify anything in common with any of the people we've talked about over the last few weeks, if you can identify, I, I, I deal with that, I've dealt with that, I do that, I still do that, I'm trying not to do that. I want to tell you that the good news is that by faith, you too are commended by God as righteous and can be used mightily for his purposes to build his kingdom. If you're still here living and breathing and got moments ahead of you in life, God is not done with you yet. Go to him in faith and he will use you in incredible, incredible ways. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today, <clears throat> and, and after reading about these, these people, Gideon, Barak, and Jephthah, and Samson, and David, one thing we, we note about them, God, you did amazing things through them. 
time and time again, you use these people to deliver your children. And we see that you are faithful, God. When you say yes, you mean it. When you say that you are our deliverer, you mean it. When you say that you are our salvation, you mean it. And we thank you that even though we are unsteady at times, even though we can't seem to do the right things all the time, you do. You are dependable. You are firm. You are steadfast. Your words will never pass away. Your promises will never pass away. And because of who you are, we have faith in you. God, when I, I look at these these people and I think about all of their faults, all of their failures, all of their sins, there's not even a single one that I, I can't identify with at some point in my life. And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have dealt with this. But the good news about that is that though we have sinned against you, and though we deserve death because of our sin, you grant us life. You grant us opportunities. You grant us chances to be with you and to do great things for your kingdom, great things within our homes, great things within our schools, our jobs, our churches, our communities. You are the God who does great things through broken people. And so today, God, we come to you in, in all honesty, in all honesty, in all transparency, all humility. God, just like that father in, in Mark 9 that brought his demon-possessed son. And he said, if, if you can do anything, Lord, and you told him anything is possible for him who believes. And he said to you, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So today, God, as, as we come before you, we, we've put, we're putting aside all pomp and circumstance, all, all pretendness, all, all fakeness, everything aside. We want to be honest with you, God. We bring things to you. We're asking you for miracles. We're asking you to change situations, to heal bodies, to heal lives, to restore relationships. We're asking you to do miracles, God. And we come to you in faith. And we say, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. We know that you're the only God who can do anything for us. So we come to you. We humble ourselves before you and ask you to work wonders among us. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we pray all this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, and our King Jesus.